Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. To the last chapter of Ephesians in Ephesians 6, Paul talks about the supernatural spiritual realm as he begins to talk about the armor of God and and what God has equipped us with in order to stand against the schemes of the enemy. And so we've really been talking about the spiritual realm and and, and all of these things and, and how Paul points towards a greater, deeper reality. And it is the reality, the spiritual reality is the seat of all reality. Everything that exists today, everything that even exists physically, comes out of that unseen spiritual reality. This is something that we know by faith, that all things originated with God who is spirit, and so from the spiritual realm, the physical was born. The spiritual is first, the the physical realm is secondary and temporal. And so as believers, you have a physical body and you're interacting in the physical world with physical things, but you are also simultaneously a spiritual being that exists in a spiritual realm and interacts spiritually. Amen? Come on, you have a spirit. You are a spirit. That's, that's the core of who you are, a spiritual person. And that spirit has been made alive in Christ so that you can hear the voice of God and interact spiritually with God. And this is how God speaks to our hearts. More often than not, God speaks to us in that deep uh, spiritual way. In the, you know, the Bible says the heart of man is the candle of the Lord. He, he enlightens our hearts as opposed to an audible voice. Sometimes God speaks uh, in an audible voice, but, but more often than not, he's interacting with us in the spirit man. And so he leave, Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand, this requires a supernatural knowledge of faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So God spoke the universe into being, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What we see today came out of what is not seen. And so the unseen is eternal. The seen is temporal. Uh, The deeper reality is what is not seen. And so how do we see what is unseen? How do we, because the Bible tells us that, that the spiritual man sees, doesn't focus on the natural, but focuses on what is not seen. How do you focus on what is not seen if it can't be seen? Well, through the eyes of faith. By faith, we understand. By faith, we know. So faith is what pulls back the curtain so that we can see the thing behind the thing. That meaning of something being revealed or or revelation. And we actually see this in the book named Revelation. This was a revelation that John had uh, while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. And in the spirit, he says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was in the spirit. He was there communicating with God, perceiving spiritually and being in the spirit. God revealed certain things to him. It's where this this book got its name from. And so in Revelations 1 verse 10, we see Jesus in a supernaturally revealed way. And I want to just read this little just six verses just to show you how different this looks. In Revelation 1 verse 10, John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. 
saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, which, by the way, is the church that we're dealing with right now. It's the book that we're dealing with. So Jesus says, I have something to say to the church in Ephesus, to, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to, to Tyatira, to Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. So John turns around and he sees something. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. You see, so often when we think of Jesus, we still think of of, of just the Jesus that, you know, was the shepherd here on earth and just, you know, carrying a lamb over his shoulders. And, and there's some beauty in that imagery as well. You know, we, we, we still sometimes think of Jesus like he's still on the cross. You know, when, when, when people have a, a little crucifix around their necks and, you know, they, it's like Jesus is still there. No, he got off. He got off of that cross. He was taken down. And then he, ra- he was raised from the dead. And what is his present state? His present state isn't that he is walking around hoping he can do some good. He's not, you know, in this, in this uh, limited by, by, you know, human restraints like he was when he lived on this earth. No, Jesus is the all-powerful, seated at the right hand of God with eyes of fire, a double-edged sword coming forth from his mouth. And he is completely and utterly victorious over every force, over every power, over everything he has dominion in this age and in the age to come. Now, that's the Jesus that we know. Like John could see that Jesus. That's the Jesus that we see. So when we're praying prayers, we're not thinking back to Jesus, you know, walking around with the sheep, you know, here on earth or or, or being hungry or thirsty. We're not thinking back to that Jesus or, or thinking of a Jesus that's limited in any way. We're seeing Jesus according to the fullness of who he is in God, who he is as the Godhead, as part of the Godhead. Does it make sense what I'm saying this morning? I just feel like sometimes, and I'm not even saying that when Jesus was on this earth that he didn't have access to full power. We know that he had the Holy Spirit without measure. I'm just talking about how we think about Jesus. We in our own minds limit his power. And we pray prayers, and while we're praying those prayers, we say, can Jesus really do this? You know, you pray for the sick and you wonder, I wonder if God could really heal this person. Come on, that, that's such a small view of who God is. He spoke the whole universe into being. And when we have a revelation like John had a revelation, we see the Jesus. We see the thing behind the thing. We see the power that God exists within. And, and if we get that revelation of Jesus, there, there's nothing that we would feel is impossible any longer. Because we have supernatural revelation. Whether or not you see Jesus like this, like John saw him, or just as some earthly figure, is dependent on whether or not you are able to perceive in the Spirit. To have a true revelation of Jesus. It's how spiritual perception works. And we see many examples of this where as believers, we do not just operate on the realm, in the realm of our five senses. We know more. You know, like, uh, like before Paul was going to get onto a ship, he said, I perceive, brethren, I perceive that there will be great loss 
that this ship will be wrecked and there will be loss if we continue on this journey. I perceive. How does he perceive that they haven't gotten on the boat yet? There's a supernatural knowledge that we have access to as spiritual beings connected to the Holy Spirit. I perceive, spiritually speaking. We see another example of this in Acts 16, verse 17, where uh, Paul and, and others were doing ministry and they were traveling uh, as they were going along in their missionary journey. And it tells us that there was a girl in, in Acts 16, 17, this girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting. This is obviously written by Luke and Acts, so Paul and Luke, and they were walking along and this girl was walking behind them shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now that sounds like an, like an awesome person to have around. Like I've thought that it would be really great if when I arrive here on a Sunday, we could have like a team that could follow me into the building and go, this is the servant of the most high God proclaiming to you the way of salvation. I'm gonna talk to Pastor Brent, let's see if we can set up the proclamation team that can help out with that. But in general, if somebody was showing this kind of passion for ministry, if you do not have supernatural perception, what you would probably do is give her a microphone and a platform. That's what we would do. And she was relentless in this. She continued for many days, it says. Eventually, Paul grew so aggravated so you see, he had a deeper understanding. He knew the thing behind the thing. He, he turned around. He was so aggravated that he turned and he said to the girl, no, to the spirit. There was a spirit that was directing the actions of the girl. And this is what we read last week in Ephesians 6 where Paul says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenlies, you know, the, these forces of darkness, forces of evil at work, cosmic powers. He's talking about demonic spirits. And we spoke about the origin of these spirits last week. If you, if you missed that, you can catch it online. But, but we, you know, he, Paul understands that this is not just the girl, but actually a spirit behind the girl. The thing behind the thing. And so he turns and he doesn't speak to the girl. He speaks to the spirit. And he says to her, in the name of Jesus Christ, which is where our authority is, I command you to come out of her. And the spirit left her that very moment. So he drives a demon out of this girl. And she was actually a slave girl that was, was making money for her master with this spiritual demonic ability that was given to her in the spirit and actually caused a lot of problems because all of a sudden that demonic power that she was operating in had departed from her life. She was set free. But she was saying, here comes the men who proclaim the way of salvation. See, that is the spiritual gift of the discerning of spirits. People think that the, the, the gift of, is the gift of discernment. You know, it, it's not the gift of discernment. It's not just discerning things in general. It's the discerning of spirits. It's to know what spirit is trying to infiltrate and influence and affect your life, your family, the church, 
And what is it there to do? It's there to distract. It's there to aggravate. It's there to frustrate. Paul knew this. And so he was able to act supernaturally and spiritually in the authority of Jesus in that moment. Not only to be rid of the the distraction that this was causing to their ministry, but actually at the same time to to set this, this girl free. And I've had this, I've preached at some places. I remember once preaching in, at a youth event and there was about a thousand young people there. And, um, and, and while, I, while I was doing an altar call, people just started shouting like as loudly as they could, like a whole little group was going, hallelujah. But they were doing it, you know, obviously in a way that wasn't truthful or authentic, you know. And so I stopped everything and I walked right up to the group and I just started praying over them. And it went deathly quiet. Because there was a spirit that wanted to detract and distract from what God was doing. When you discern spiritually, these are, this is where the Bible actually says that we're not unaware of the schemes, but we fight. We're committed to this battle in the spirit for our families, but more than that, for the mission of God. For the mission of God, for what God wants to do. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, it says, The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit doesn't even believe that they exist, for they are folly to him. It just sounds foolish. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So what's your level of spiritual discernment? You know, you know where, you, where you strengthen the muscle of spiritual discernment? Because you, you're saying, well, how do, I, how do I become aware of that? Because otherwise, you know, what, what happens to young Christians when they first hear these things is they get weird. Have you ever met any of them? They get super weird. They, and, they, and everything is like either, you know, Jesus or it's, you know, a sign or it's a thing or it's a demon or it's a, you know, and they'll be walking around and embarrassing the rest of us Christians. So they just don't know how to handle this thing. But you know where you really strengthen your muscle for spiritual perception? Is in your personal time with Jesus. Because then you're practicing hearing his voice, experiencing his presence. And as he lays things on your heart, you begin to share those with others. And you see that it's accurate and it's truthful and it's effective. It's it's making a difference. You realize, wow, I really am operating in the supernatural. So rather than than focusing on on how how does Paul get to this point? You know how he got to that point? Lots of time with Jesus. Lots of time just knowing how to hear God's voice. And then you will begin to understand things that are spiritually discerned. The merely natural person doesn't see the thing behind the thing. But when you're a believer, you know that when you're praying, you're not just praying, you're engaging with heaven. When you're worshiping, you're not just worshiping, you're waging war. As you declare the goodness of God over your life and over your situation and over the lives of others. When you remain faithful to God, you're not just doing a Christian thing, but you're actually resisting the enemy. Resist the, submit to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. There's actually a supernatural thing that takes place when we stay faithful, when we pray, when we worship. It's the thing behind the thing. And so in Ephesians 6, Paul says, we're equipped for this warfare. God didn't say, hey, I'm going to send you into battle, but I'm not going to give you any, any, you know, any armor or any weapons. 
It says, I've uniquely and supernaturally equipped you to stand under any attack, in any circumstance, and have victory over every onslaught on your life. How many times when the attack comes against our lives, uh, one of our first thoughts is, will I be overcome by this? Is this how it ends? Is this how my life falls apart? Is this how my nightmares come true? Come on, we've all been there. Where does my life go to from here? But God says, I have uniquely equipped you to deal with every single attack against your life. Husbands, fathers, you are uniquely equipped to stand up for your family and fight in victory over every single battle, every single attack that comes against your family. Mothers, wives, similarly. You're there to stand. Grandmas, you, you know, grandfathers over your, your grandkids. We are uniquely equipped as leaders to fight a battle, not just in the physical, but in the spirit over our families and for the church, for the purposes and plans of God for our lives. This is the one thing that Satan wants to, to shut down in our lives is what God has for you. So Ephesians 6 verse 10 to 11, and I, I, I really went into depth on this last week, but Ephesians 6, 10 to 11, Paul says, finally, as he comes to the end of his letter, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. So be strong. We looked at how that was a passive verb where he's just telling you to be strong. And we spoke about the fact that it's kind of counterintuitive in most situations when somebody isn't strong to tell them to just be strong. Because if you aren't strong, how can you be strong? So if I, if I had a big weight here that was a one-ton weight and I said, come up and lift it and you, didn't, you couldn't lift it and then I said, well, just be strong. It's not gonna work. You won't magically have strength. So this is actually a passive verb saying, be strengthened by what? By the strength that flows forth from God's might. And the might is actually talking about the character of God, just who He is. And so the character and the nature of God, His might flows back in strength towards you. Which takes us all the way back to Ephesians 1 where He talks about how we would have a revelation that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we may know, that we may know intimately, spiritually, supernaturally, the power of God that is at work within us when we were strengthened by His might. And so we don't stand in our own strength when it comes to any single moment or any single battle. We rely on the strength of God that flows towards us. Are you aware today that God's strength is constantly flowing towards you? That it is at work within you. So don't rely on yourself to try and win the battle, whatever that battle looks like, even if it's a personal battle or something that you're struggling with personally. Don't rely on yourself, but rely on the strength of God's might that strengthens you. When we are weak, He is strong. When we are weak, we are strong. When we rely on His strength. So it says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, and we're going to get to that, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So the intention here is for you to be able to continue to stand 
and remain steadfast even when the devil's attacks comes against your life. And now it actually tells us there that the devil has schemes. He has plans. He has strategies for your life. And this reminded me of when I was a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for about a decade. And in that time, I was constantly trying to get people to think differently or, or I was constantly just trying to feel like I'm, I'm waking them up. I feel like I probably still do the same thing. I just, I wanted to say things in ways that was different so that people would just understand or, or at least be, be, you know, awakened from, from kind of apathy over the subject. And so, you know, at the time when I was a youth pastor, Christian t-shirts was like a big thing and, and caps and stuff. And, and, and people would always put Jesus loves you. Like the Christians would walk around with a t-shirt that says Jesus loves you. And I was wondering about the efficacy of that. How many people look at that t-shirt and go, that's so amazing. You know, Jesus loves me. Let me just please, you know, teach me the way of salvation. How do I repent? I want to, you know, lead myself. I don't know. I have never seen the Christian t-shirt have that effect. Maybe it plants a seed, which is good. So I'm not against Jesus loves you t-shirts or caps. But I wanted to do it in a way that would get people to think differently. And so I thought, how can I say this the other way around that people would actually pay attention? And so believe it or not, I actually designed a t-shirt that you would be happy to know I never printed. <laughs> but I did, uh, designed a t-shirt that said the opposite. So it said this, it said, Satan hates you. I just wanted, I felt like that would be effective. Nobody pays attention to Jesus loves you anymore. I was like, well, let me wear a shirt that says Satan hates you. At least people would recognize that there's an enemy and hopefully they would, you know, ask some questions about you. Maybe we can print some of these and have them as merch at the info desk at the <laughs> Satan hates you. So we all know Jeremiah 29 verse 11 that says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. But, but I don't always know if we realize that Satan has counter plans. Satan also has a plan for you. And that plan is a plan that will ultimately destroy you. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So there is a real plan. And and Paul actually says, because this is something that doesn't get spoken about in church a lot, and it's not even something that we speak about a lot. If you're a visitor here today, um, this is, you know, we just, it's in the Bible as we were going through it, and so we spoke, we're speaking about it. And, uh, but, but he says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We are not unaware, he says in Ephesians 4, we're not unaware of the strategies of the enemy. There are strategies and we're aware of them and so we we are able to to be equipped as it tells us here in Ephesians 6 by the armor of God to be able to stand against these counter plans God has equipped us for it but the fact is that most Christians don't even realize that there's a battle at all and that's the quickest way to lose a battle imagine if you wanted you know you woke up and you you forgot you walked into a ring and you didn't know what you were doing there. And all of a sudden, you get punched in the face. You realize you were actually an MMA fighter and, and the bell had rung and the, the fighter. You're going to lose. You know, you're going to be knocked out because you don't even know you're in a fight. But when we are aware, we are able to take up the, the armor that God has given us so that we can stand. So that we can uh, uh, walk in the victory that God has given us. Now, Again, before I go on, I want to tell you that we can so easily 
put an overemphasis on this. We can so easily become unbalanced, even biblically, and look for a devil behind every proverbial bush. You know, we, 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 you know, especially when, when, when you're younger. And I was there. I've got to tell you, I've matured in this area. But there was a time where, where there was so much emphasis on this reality, which is a reality, but, but it needs to be tempered by the revelation of who Jesus is and the victory we have in Jesus. But when I was younger, I wasn't so sure about that victory in Jesus, or at least whether or not that victory would be 100% effective for me in my battle against the devil. Does that make sense what I'm saying this morning? So I was like, well, I know there's a, de- there's a devil, I know there's schemes, I know there's plans, and I know that God is victorious, but w- wait, where do I fit in? Am I like halfway between the two? And I remember just being very worried that somehow the devil would get the upper hand in my life. And I was worried that there was something that I would have to either do or not do in order to make sure that didn't happen. And so I would pray a lot. And in my prayers, I focused a lot more on being against the devil than in trusting in Jesus. And this is, this is wrong. It's, it's unbalanced biblically. Um, and so I remember one time um, standing in my study and I was convinced that the lady who lived next door was demon-possessed. And I knew this because she was the head of the body corporate. That's how I knew she was demon-possessed. And so I was worried. I was worried that her demons were going to, it was a low wall. And I was worried that her demons were going to come over to my side. And so I remember praying legitimately and saying, God, just put up a hedge of protection, just just a wall of angels to keep all of her demons on her side. The kind of prayers that I prayed. I had the spiritual perception, but without wisdom. Instead of praying for her, instead of believing in God for her to to come to faith. And so sometimes when we start out, you know, we do this and, and we are fearful. We're fearful of the enemy. And I, as a young believer, struggled with this at times because I was aware of the reality, but I didn't have an equal revelation of the victory of Jesus. And my victory in Jesus. And then there was a time that I got a revelation. A pulling back of the curtain. I saw Jesus like we saw him now in Revelation 1. I I began to understand the finished work of the cross and who I am in Christ. The curtain was pulled back for me on what Jesus did for me on the cross. And the victory I had. And, And like never before... One of the elements of the armor of God made sense to me like in a moment. I remember actually the moment it it, it just, the penny dropped. I was sitting, I had just done an outreach with a team of guys from our youth at at a high school in the West Rand. And we had preached there this morning and we all went to a McDonald's just off on on Decker's Drive. Uh, We sat there at the McDonald's together and we started to speak. and And I just said to them, you know what? Faith is a shield. Faith is a shield. You're worried about the attacks of the enemy against your life. Will I be overcome? Will it be successful? Faith is a shield. Faith is not just a shield, it's the shield. Faith is not just in faith. We don't have faith in faith. We don't say, I have faith in what? In my faith. So as long as I have faith, I'll have faith and I'll be fine. No, because then you begin to doubt your own faith. No, your faith is not in your faith. Your faith is in Jesus. It's in who he is. It's in his victory. And when we have faith in Jesus, the shield is up. In other words, the greater your revelation of Jesus, the less 
effective the enemy can be in your life. And so our focus is on Jesus, not on the enemy. And so I said that it comes from Ephesians 6.16. It says, in all circumstances, in every circumstance, no matter what you're going through, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. So faith in Jesus is a shield that extinguishes every attack against you. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. That's the faith. And the finished work of the cross blocks every single dart, every single arrow that the enemy may fire at you. And I tell people often, I may even have told you a few times, that since the moment I had that revelation of who I am in Jesus and what he did for me on the cross, there's two things I've never, ever worried about again. The first one was feeling far from God. I I can tell you honestly, authentically this morning that I have never again in my life in the last 12 years since I've had this revelation, since I've seen Jesus, ever, ever felt far from God again. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how great my prayer life is or isn't. Doesn't matter how much Bible reading I've done or haven't done. I've never again felt far from God because I just understand that I am in Christ. I can't be far from Him. And secondly, I have not been afraid of the devil for one minute ever again. No matter what I've gone through since then, and there've been attacks against my life. Some of you that have been on the journey with me, you'll know the attacks that have come against me personally and us as a church, etc., etc. Not once. Have I been afraid of the devil? I just don't have that fear anymore. It just doesn't exist for me anymore. I'm just not scared anymore because I've seen Jesus. I know who is with me. I know who stands with me. If God is for me, who can be against me? I have a deep sense of knowledge about that that wasn't revealed to me by flesh and blood, but by God. And so the key to victory over fear and victory over these things is knowing who holds the keys. We go back to Revelation 1 to Jesus in that state being revealed before John. And in verse 17, John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me. I love that. This powerful Jesus comes and he puts his hand on us. You imagine the, just the impact of that touch saying, fear not. That's God's word over your life this morning. Fear not. Why? Because I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. That's who I am. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus has the keys. He holds the keys. He has the victory. He stripped Satan of his authority over anyone who belongs to Jesus. Satan has zero authority over your life. In fact, Jesus has has given us authority to walk in as believers. An authority we carry as his children. And this allows us to effect change. It's why we can pray for the sick and see them healed. It's why we can, it's why we can have an impact on, on, on people's lives as we share the gospel because God ha- is empowering us. It's why we can cast out demons. We have authority in Christ. It's why we can stand as well in every circumstance and against every scheme. Some of you are wondering, will I get through this? Will I, you know, will I be able to, to navigate 
this circumstance or this crisis or this season in my life? Or is this going to be the end of me? And I'm telling you now, you are going to stand. You are going to stand. Because you don't walk in your own authority, but in the strength of his might. Last few minutes this morning, I want to just touch on Ephesians 6.12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's four classes or, or, or you know, types of demonic powers that are mentioned there. And I just wanted to quickly show you something about rulers and authorities. Now, this is not talking about earthly rulers. It's not talking about kings or presidents or governments. This is talking spiritually. He says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against. You can't say it's not against flesh and blood and go, but against presidents and governments. And that doesn't make sense. He's talking supernaturally. He's saying that there are rulers that have been delegated authority over regions, over areas. Just like when Daniel prayed in Daniel 10, and the angel finally got to him after 21 days. And he says, Daniel, you were heard. Your prayers were heard from the first day you began to pray and seek God. But I was resisted by the prince of Persia these 21 days. There was a, a clash in the heavens. And so there's a spiritual battle and there's these rulers. We have rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces or spiritual beings. And I just wanted to look at rulers and authorities, because whenever I see this in Scripture, I want to go back and see what does Scripture say about this? What is the rest of the Bible? How often um, does it mention rulers and authorities? These grand rulers, these, these high-level demonic forces at work. In Colossians 1 verse 16, we see rulers and authorities there. It says, for by Christ all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so point number one is these forces exist at the word of Jesus. They exist at the word of Jesus. We can just throw that up on the screen there. They exist at the word of Jesus. So he is in no way subject to them. He created everything visible and invisible. And God created angelic beings. And obviously we know, we covered last week, how they were cast out of heaven through rebellion and became demonic forces. But Jesus it created them. That's how much greater he is than them. These angelic beings fell and became enemies of God. But Colossians 2.15 then tells us that Jesus came and through what he did on the cross, he stripped them of their power. Ephesians 2.15 says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, same two classes there, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in the cross, in what he did on the cross. And so number two, he disarmed them. He created them, they rebelled, and so he disarmed them. He stripped them of their power. Even though they are our present active adversaries, they are decisively defeated. For those in Christ especially. Why? In the Bible, actually, I could expand on this, but because you are forgiven. The devil has nothing on you. When I first prayed for, I went on a, on a youth camp, and I was a teenager myself. I was about 17. But I was a leader on this camp, and I came back, and coming back, 
one of the kids that was on the camp actually began to manifest demonically. And I was praying over them. Again, I'm 17 years old and I'm, I'm praying over this person that they would be liberated. And, and at the same time, you know what I was fearful of? I started to think about my own sins. What have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? Oh, the demons are gonna know. I was even worried, like, what if the demon begins to speak and say, oh, you know what this guy did last week? You know how, how seldomly he reads his Bible? I was like, Jesus, help me. You know, just like the lack of confidence because I was like, does the devil have anything on me? And sometimes you're worried about the devil because you don't know if he has something on you. But what the Bible very clearly declares is the reason why you have complete victory over the Satan is because you are no longer under the law. You are completely forgiven. There is nothing that the devil has on you because Jesus paid the price for all of it. And so he disarmed them. Ephesians 1, 19 to 21 says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And so all demonic powers have been subjected to him. He created them, he disarmed them, and now they are subject to him. They're subject to Jesus. They are under his feet. Colossians 2, 9 to 10 says, For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you, you today, Anchor Church, have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. So you have been filled with Jesus, who is the head over all rule and authority. And so we are filled in him, who has all authority. People sometimes wonder, can, can Christians be possessed demonically? And we can be suppressed. We can be oppressed. We can be, you know, the devil can lie to our minds. He can try and impact our thoughts. We can come under attack or under the sway of his deceitfulness. But a believer cannot be filled with a demonic power if you are filled with Christ. Reinhard Bunker used to say that a fly cannot sit on a hot stove. Jesus spoke about this, Matthew 12. He says, where in, in 1243, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So it will be with this evil generation. It's talking about a generation that, that wants to, that wants to uh, reject Jesus or rejects, accepts some form of spirituality, but not Jesus himself. It ends up in a worse place. But for us who are filled in Christ, the, uh, this, the converse is true. That demon comes back, there's no, no vacancy. Jesus lights up the no vacancy sign. This person is filled with the Spirit of God. We're strong in the power of his might. In Acts 19, 11 to 16, it speaks about this ministry that Paul was doing in setting people free and, and other believers as well. And, and it says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles. Acts, sorry, it's Acts 19, 11. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, which is what a title, put that on a business card. 
undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. Listen to the language there. They, they weren't filled with Jesus. They just wanted to invoke the power of Jesus. They undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you, which is such a formal way to address a demon. I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. You see, this cannot be a second-hand victory. It cannot be second-hand faith. It's got to be your own personal relationship with Jesus. I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirits answered them. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? Who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit, in whom was the evil spirit, leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. You see, we don't stand in our strength. It's not even in our own religious ability. But we are strengthened by the strength of His might. And it's through a personal relationship and revelation of Jesus that you are given authority. And I love this. When I address a demonic spirit in, in my own life, in my prayers, when praying for somebody, no matter what it is, the devil knows that I know. He knows that I know. He recognizes instantly. This, we know this guy because we know that he knows. He knows who he is in Christ. He knows what Jesus did for him. He is a son of God. There's a recognition. And so I cannot be overcome and you cannot be overcome because the devil will know that you know. But he's hoping to convince you that you don't know. And so it's important for us to continually renew our minds in this. Our authority over evil is in a personal revelation of Jesus. And even the demons will know that you know. Final scripture, Ephesians 3, 8 to 10. Paul says, and we've covered this before, he says, To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So this is actually why God has equipped us, so that we can preach this great message to those who don't know Jesus and to bring light for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery for ages in God who created all things? This is God's plan. We bring it to light so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to who? To rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Again, not the governments of this world, but in the heavenly places. In other words, it pleased God to defeat Satan and overcome Satan and all of his works on this earth using us. Us ordinary people brought into the manifold of the church so that it would become so clear that to even the demonic powers that God's excellent and wise plan was to use normal, ordinary people to save them from their sins, to execute forgiveness over their lives, to impute righteousness, to set them up as a community of faith, and then to empower them with authority so that we walk in authority over every demonic power in this world. Even the rulers and authorities know who we are in Christ. And this was God's beautiful, wise, and excellent plan to bring glory to Him. 
People stand back and go, God did what? He could have just come down and just did it himself. But he chooses to work through us, this authority, this power, this plan, this majesty. What does it produce? It produces glory to God. God gets all of the glory as he unveils the destiny and purpose of the church. And so it is a matter of necessity that you know your authority, that you have a personal walk with Jesus, and that you put on the armor of God. Amen? It's something we're going to look at as we go forward next week as we continue this series. Won't you stand with me this morning as we pray?